It's time for another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, is standing by. Longtime portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. We're going to talk about a topic that we've kind of nibbled around the edges on a little bit, Ron, because you can't turn on the television these days without seeing an ad for an electric vehicle. So let's tackle the subject. Investing in electric car makers. Yeah, we we chose to limit a little bit because you have all the ICE or internal combustion vehicle manufacturers that are trying to make the transition uh, over because, you know, with legislation, legislation is essentially saying that by 2035, um, you know, most of the vehicles that are that are going to be produced are going to have to be electric. So they're making a huge transition. But that is such a big field to cover then that uh, what we decided to do is limit it a bit and just talk about companies that make pure electric vehicles. Or And there's three types here. There's the battery electric vehicles, which is the ones we're going to focus on today, which are solely battery powered. Then you've got hybrid electric vehicles like the Prius, which has a battery, has a combustion engine, and the battery gets recharged when you do regenerative braking. In other words, you step on the brakes, the battery gets recharged. Then you have PHEVs, which are plug-in hybrids, which have batteries and an engine, but you can actually plug those in. So we're going to be looking exclusively at BEVs or battery electric vehicles to try and put a little bit of a lid on this thing because it's a very big sector if you don't. And, and the subject that keeps coming up, I had conversation, a coffee with a buddy the other day who one of his children is, is, is going to purchase an electric vehicle. And he was saying, oh, you have 500 kilometers range, you know, and, and she has a job in which she commutes a fair distance each day. He said, so she's calculated she's only going to have to charge it probably twice a week. That's, that's still the central issue here with electric vehicles, isn't it, is range. Yeah. And especially for people who live in colder climates. I mean, let's face it, Alberta is uh, has pretty good weather nine months a year, but we've got three months of the year where temperatures regularly go down to minus 30, minus 40, and even colder. And if uh, you're driving a battery electric vehicle in minus 40, uh, some of the recent studies I have seen show that uh, your mileage drops anywhere between 25% and 40%. And most of the studies I've seen show it closer to 40% at minus 40. So, um, you know, the battery electric vehicles uh, are great in places like California or Texas or Southern Europe, but you get into the colder climates and it really does start to limit your range. And so if you're looking for an electric vehicle, you want to be careful. That's and, one of the uh, things sure. I, I often think about, Ron, is, is pulling out of my garage on a cold winter's morning and turning on the heat. I've not experienced the heater in an electric vehicle. I don't know. Is it going to keep me warm? <laughs> that That's the question. So, You know, I went for a drive in a, in a Tesla a couple of years ago, and it was uh, I purposely went with a friend of mine, and we went when it was minus 37, minus 38, and we went early in the morning. And it, uh, it, the electric heater actually worked pretty good in an electric car, but when you turned the heat up, you could just see your mileage disappear as you were you were using the car because it you know heating something that takes a lot of electricity and uh, unfortunately it uh, it's going to hurt your range okay so where do we where do we want to sort of focus on here we've talked so much about this there's so much in the news the chinese are kind of leading the march here aren't they 
Yeah, right now, the China produces about 4.7 million uh, electric cars for their own market. But in the last quarter or two, they've started exporting, and everybody is biting their fingernails because uh, they expected to produce about 6 million cars this year, which is 60% of the total um, electric cars globally. 10 million are going to be manufactured. China's going to produce about 6. 4.7 for their domestic market, 1.3 currently for international markets, and that international market is expected to grow exponentially. So uh, the big global player soon is not going to be Tesla. The big global player, and we're going to talk about some of the individual uh, companies that manufacture electrical vehicles uh, a little further into this show, but you know, uh, you need to keep your eye on China because uh, Tesla currently is the largest seller of all battery EVs on the planet, and BYD, which is uh, the biggest player in China, is number two. But in China, BYD is tops. And a lot of people think that over the next couple of years, BYD is going to supplant Tesla, especially when it comes to exports, because uh, they have a price advantage. So there's a lot of upside potential here, maybe from an investment point of view, Ron. And I think one of the key components in that upside is that the government has their hand on the, on the tiller here, don't they, in a lot of cases? Yeah, they've, uh, they've tilted the playing field with legislation and funding that favors EVs over um, internal combustion engines. So by 2035, in many countries, the sale of electric vehicles is going to be banned. And, uh, you know, gas, gas engines, you mean? Internal combustion oh, yeah. engines will be banned. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and of course, going to be electric. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, I was uh, reading... Uh, a re- research report put out by RBC analyst uh, Tom uh, Narayan, and he talked about robo-taxis and autonomous vehicles. And, of course, um, you know, autonomous vehicles, we've, we've heard it for the last 10 years that they're right around the corner. But one day they're going to arrive, and certainly right now you're already seeing major cities are anticipating banning private cars in, in many areas around the globe. And so that's going to be another huge advantage, electric cars that are that uh, are run by AI. And, you know, I mean, they're predicting the future that most of us aren't even going to have a car. So uh, these electric vehicles are going to become almost like public transportation and uh, eventually take over just about everything. What about the charging infrastructure? That's one that we've talked about in the past. Uh, sometimes, well, I, I, it's happening quickly. We're finding more charging stations all over the place now. But if you're traveling any great distance, sometimes you might find yourself in a bit of a black hole, correct? Well, there's two things. Is Number one is that the charging stations, it's way more expensive, especially as you get into remote areas, to charge uh, your vehicle than it is uh, to charge it off a wall mount at home. And in many places in the U.S. now, it's more expensive to fill your electric vehicle at a charging station than it would be to fill a conventional fossil fuel-powered car at a gas station. So the price changes have, have come about uh, quite dramatically. And uh, we, we expect to get some technological breakthroughs, which give uh, EVs more range and uh, will produce more chargers and, uh, and hopefully bring prices down over time. And uh, that is what the industry is hoping for, is that the continued evolution, especially on the battery side, will just be able to bring prices down and make them more competitive. Well, if you're a user, for instance, of a power tool and you bought your first battery-powered drill 15 years ago, 
and you were working on a project in your workshop, you might get 30 minutes out of it. Battery technology has improved dramatically in the last decade or so. I mean, look at the battery capacity now that you have in power tools and electric lawnmowers and things of that nature, right? So they're still working on it, and they're getting better all the time. Yeah, and that's the one of the, the big advantages is that, uh, you know, I mean, Elon Musk said that uh, he expects that many of the battery packs in his newer vehicles could actually get a million miles on them uh, before they need to get changed. So they're not only getting better, but they're getting more durable and lasting longer as well. So uh, especially here over the next couple of years when uh, Honda and Toyota are, have been working very hard, especially Toyota, on solid-state batteries. And solid-state batteries are able to hold a lot more charge and uh, be able to do it at uh, if the technology comes through at a significant lower price point. So uh, there's, there's lots of things on the back burner here which could go very right for electric vehicles over the next few years. So those are the upsides. Well, I always talk about when we, we speak about investing in any sector of the market, there's always a downside risk somewhere. What, where do we look at for the, the places to avoid? What are the red flags? Well, I think the red flags right now are lack of profitability. Tesla and BYD are the only pure electric companies that are currently consistently profitable. And also it's the cost. I mean, you go out and look at electric vehicles. They're pricey. <laughs> and yeah, they're, they're priced so that uh, the only people that could really afford them are people that have upper middle class incomes. You know, the price of entry in Canada is still 40K plus, which is still more than a lot of people can afford. And then you look at consumer acceptance. A recent J.D. Power survey uh, showed that 66% of uh, automobile shoppers in Canada say they're either very unlikely or somewhat unlikely to consider electric vehicle. And that's uh, up from 53% just a year ago. So, you know, people are concerned, uh, especially in colder climates, and as uh, you've seen more adoption, people are coming becoming much better consumers and they're not just falling for the hype of well you need to get an electric vehicle uh you know the consumer is sitting there with a checklist and he's waiting or she is waiting until some of these technology issues um get clarified <laughs> yeah get clarified or get fixed before before they get started uh you know spending 40 50 60 grand on a vehicle so you know um <clears throat> in spite of all the hype uh, there's a lot of consumers that are sitting on the fence with a wait-and-see attitude. Looping back to the autonomous vehicles, that's one that we should be paying attention to as well. It's a noble concept, but there's still some glitches there, right? Oh, self-driving software, you know, in spite of a decade of hearing that the technology is right around the corner, is uh, still not ready for prime time. I mean, if you go to some of the auto magazines and where they've, they've put these vehicles and put them on an, an autonomous mode and put them in a closed circuit, you know, these still are making mistakes. And, you know, you can't use them in, in areas where there's lots of snow and they can't read the road. I mean, there's still a lot of issues there. Or in construction zones, they get confused. So uh, there's a lot of problems with uh, the, the self-driving that needs to get corrected before these things are ready for prime time. And I think the one thing that people haven't been paying attention to, Gord, is material shortages are really pushing prices higher, not down. And there hasn't been a study that I've seen that shows that we have enough copper, lithium, lead, or rare earths to meet demand. 
And since China controls the processing of much of these minerals, they have the potential to really hold us hostage. And it takes 10 years to bring a mine into production, which means that prices could skyrocket for basic materials to make EVs. And of course, it'll just make them even more unaffordable than they are right now. I guess we have to look, too, at at the other side of this is what if something else comes along that sort of leapfrogs electric vehicles? And there's a lot of talk about hydrogen, right? Yeah, I mean, hydrogen, uh, one of the advantages of hydrogen is we already have infrastructure in place. So we have pipelines, and so instead of pipelines uh, carrying fossil fuels, uh, literally pipelines all over North America could end up carrying hydrogen hydrogen. We already have infrastructure at gas stations and things like that. So uh, the infrastructure is there. Hydrogen is hard to store. And, you know, it has some issues that have to be dealt with before it could become a commercially viable fuel. And of course, where you get most of your hydrogen is from hydrocarbons, which certainly the, 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 the Greens don't like at all. But there's other technology out there, certainly. And uh, if it, you know, things get displaced so quickly is that you have to be careful now because it's, it, uh, you know, you think that, um, you know, electric vehicles, especially battery powered electric vehicles are going to be the, uh, the transition, uh, to, to other types of power and uh, transitions can get, uh, trumped very quickly by new technology. The other one that keeps popping up, and we've talked about this lots of times, is, is, the, is the, the grid. We don't have the capacity in the grid to handle this huge onslaught of electric vehicles that may be coming without dumping the grid when we're trying to charge them. Well, you know, and it's, it's not just electric vehicles, but, you know, I was reading an article yesterday, Gord, on AI, and uh, Intel is coming out with a computer uh, it finished this summer, and I think it's in trials right now. That is the biggest supercomputer that's ever been built by a substantial margin. Anyways, this thing, to power it up, it takes enough electricity to power 60,000 homes for an entire year. That's what it takes to run this thing, and that's just one computer. And the more of these AI supercomputers you have coming online the more stress it is going to put on our electrical infrastructure. And, you know, when you've right now, you've got places like Texas and California having consistent brownouts because the system literally collapses regularly because it can't uh, handle the peak loads placed on it. Well, you know, it's going to get a lot worse as, as more and more people switch to EV power for sure. Okay, what about the tax implications here? I would think that our friends in Ottawa rub their hands together with gasoline taxes and home heating taxes, and that cash flow all of a sudden vanishes if everybody goes electric. I guess they'll figure out another way to charge that, though. Yeah, well, I I think that's a rude awakening for people that own electric vehicles. I mean, right now, uh, if you buy an electric vehicle in many places, you're getting a $7,500 rebate uh, to buy one. And, of course, uh, if you uh, go to, you know, uh, stay at a hotel or you go to a, uh, a place where maybe you can do some shopping where you get subsidized electricity, well, people are used to getting uh, subsidized uh, to transfer over from a fossil fuel vehicle to an electric one. But uh, right now, Canada collects $5 billion each year in fossil fuel taxes, 
and another 1.6 billion in GST, and most of this money is used to fix roads, do infrastructure, and so on. And when ICE vehicles disappear, so will this revenue. And the money's going to have to come from somewhere. And EV owners are going to be in for quite a shock when that financial burden gets passed on to them. If you want to see how big that burden could actually be, next time you're at the gas station, just stop and take a look. There's usually a sticker on the pump telling you how much of your taxes uh, or how much of your your price per liter is going into uh, various levels of taxation. I think you'll be surprised. I guess the other risk, too, is is if the conventional car makers sort of tap the brakes a little bit here, right? Yeah, I mean, that is your big risk. I mean, you've got all these big manufacturers. You've got Ford, uh, Stellantis, GM, Toyota, Honda, Nissan, Subaru, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and the list goes on. And these guys have been building cars, a lot of them, for a century. They know how to do this stuff. And they've got deep pockets. They have engineering talent. And, uh, you know, I think give them a a couple of years to do the transition. And they're going to be quite capable of competing in this space as they get organized. And, of course, that's just going to put more pressure uh, and make the EV space more competitive all the time. So you, you want to be careful to make sure that if you're playing in this space, that you have an eye on who do you think is going to be the potential winner, because there's going to be a lot of competition over the next three years. And as we pointed out, China has the capacity here to just sort of put a thumb on everybody, don't they? Well, the Chinese are just able to produce things cheaper uh, than much of the rest of the world. And we saw the first uh, round of this where China is just starting to export cars cord into into Europe. And Europe is talking about putting a tariff on it because uh, the the Europeans just can't compete on price. And, of course, the, the Chinese are not only going to be pushing electric cars into Europe, but North America, South America, Asia, and everywhere else. So they're going to be fierce global competitors. And, uh, you know, it's going to come down to price because when you're paying fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 for a vehicle, uh, price is going to be an important point. And uh, China as we've seen, can be very, very competitive in a lot of things. Okay, so let's run over quickly the players here that we want to think about. If you want to play this sector of the market, do your homework. We always advise you to do that. You say really only two of them right now are making money. Yeah, Tesla, which has had a five-year share uh, price growth of seven, uh, 1,276%, but it's expensive. It's 77 times earnings, and they're uh, the largest seller of EVs are an American company founded by Elon Musk. Then there's BYD. Symbol is BYDDY. It actually is a Chinese company, but you can buy it uh, on the OTC market in the U.S. Its five-year share price growth is 419%. It's 29 times earnings. Actually has a dividend of half a percent. Uh, BYD is a Chinese company that uh, Warren Buffett actually was an early investor of. It's the biggest player in China and the second biggest manufacturer globally. It's the only company that pays the dividend, and they stopped making fossil fuel cars in 2022, so they're entirely focused on uh, the electric vehicles. Uh, The other one, which is on the verge of profitability, is Li Auto, L-I. They make 190,000 cars. They're up 40% in the last five years. They're Chinese. NIO is another name. Uh, They've only gone up. 21%. 21%. So the market's not sure whether these guys are going to make it. They sold 128,000 cars last year, 
And the other big Chinese player is Xpeng, uh, which sold 100,000 cars. The price is actually down over the, net, the last five years. So some of these players uh, are producing a significant amount of automobiles now. But that's going to be a very competitive space in China. And you're not sure how many of these players are, are actually going to survive. Xpeng uh, symbol is XPEV. It also trades in the U.S. That's the advantage. If you want to trade some of these Chinese companies, you can trade them here without having to go overseas to buy them. I'm trying to sort of play the devil's advocate here. <clears throat> if money's not an object, for, <clears throat> excuse me, if money's not an object for somebody, I read about Lucid some time ago. They were planning to sort of manufacture the real high-end electric vehicle, right? What about them? Well, Lucid, LCID, uh, the stock price is down 40% in the last five years. And this is because uh, this company is just in the startup phase. They're just starting to see their vehicles come into the marketplace. But frankly, uh, I've seen their vehicles. They're absolutely stunning. Uh, They've got higher mileage than most EVs. Uh, and they're literally considered the fastest or close to the fastest cars on the planet. So the company is an early-stage manufacturer whose vehicles are just starting to roll off the assembly line. So we'll see. And the other American one, but they, they're making trucks, is Rivian. And that's R-I-V-N, U.S. Stock's down 81% in the last five years. Uh, Rivian uh, makes uh, lightweight electric trucks, and uh, I've seen two of them here over the last couple of weeks. Now, vehicles are beautiful. Vehicles are just starting to be delivered in the markets, and there's a question whether Rivian uh, can get the momentum to be a survivor. So strategy-wise on these, Gord, it's only two in the sector makes money. A third is just at the point uh, lie auto where they're starting to make money. So you don't know how many of these are going to be survivors. And so there's a lot of unknowns as to eventually who these winners are going to be. It's probably going to be a small number. And so you really want to trade on news. And a good way to play this sector, if uh, you're not sure who's going to win the manufacturing race, is buy a copper or a lithium miner. Because frankly, it doesn't matter who wins the race, whether it's BYD or it's Tesla or it's even Lucid, because they're all going to need copper. They're all going to use lithium. They're all going to use rare earths, and so uh, these guys are going to be the winners no matter who wins the EV race. All right, some sage words there to, to close that one off. If you want the safe play, get the minerals going, yeah. All right, Ron, next week we, we talked a few weeks back about building fixed income portfolios. We're going we're gonna to take a look at another side of that next time around, right? We're going to take a look at uh, building fixed income portfolios of individual securities. So um, a lot of people, uh, their exposure to fixed income is generally through a mutual fund or an ETF, but there's some huge advantages to buying individual securities. In other words, corporate government bonds, convertible debentures, strip coupons, re-return bonds. And we're going to be talking about all those, the advantages, and then we'll be getting into the nuts and bolts of it, of how to build a portfolio. And especially with rates higher now, uh, even if you're doing your own portfolio through a discounter. Most discounters now have portfolio uh, or inventory, lots of inventory and bonds. So there's lots of choices you can make to, to build your own portfolio uh, without and having big advantages versus uh, ETFs or mutual funds. 
All right. Join us again next week to tackle that subject here on Making Money. If you have a show suggestion or a question, reach us through our website, letsmakemoney.ca. We'll be back next week. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.